Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Yes, we made it to episode two. Simon Head, Shamakar Sandu, back here to bring you the latest news and views on all things mixed martial arts with a uniquely British perspective. Uh, coming up on this week's show, uh, the dawning of a new era, BT Sport. Uh, have signed a brand new broadcast deal with the UFC. We spoke about the potential for this deal uh, last week. It's actually happened now. What's going to be different? We're going to talk about that. We'll also take a look back at the events in Atlanta, Georgia this past weekend, UFC 201, where Tyron Woodley shocked the world by knocking out Robbie Lawler in uh, in record time to become the UFC welterweight champion. We will also look at some uh, some British news with two British stars joining the UFC in the space of the last seven days. And of course, we will also catch up on your questions and we'll do our best to answer your questions a bit later on in the show. As I say, I'm Simon Head and joining me, as always, and joining me this week via the wonders of Skype is Mr. Shamakar Sandu of MMA Junkie. Flow Combat, Fighters Only, and uh, and now the Brit Pack Podcast. Uh, Shamakar, how are you, buddy? I'm very well, Simon. We made it. We made it uh, to episode two. Um, just over overwhelmed, actually, and humbled by the feedback we had um, over the course of the past week, not just from uh, from fans, but also from our fellow media colleagues over the other side of the pond in the US. Um, it's just uh, it goes to show uh, what kind of appetite there was. Um, for a show like this, specifically from uh, British MMA fans. So I'm glad that we were able to deliver and hope, hope to deliver for, for many, many weeks ahead. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, now we've done two of them now. Technically, this is a series. So, you know, it wasn't a one-off the first one. So it's, it's good that we're actually, we're actually doing this thing every week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what, what's, been, what's been going on in the last, the last seven days? What have been the big takeaways for you? Oh, well, um, well, I have to say, uh, UFC 201 was, uh, potentially going to be a sleeper hit and it actually turned into a sleeper hit. It wasn't a card I was expecting too much out of. Um, but it actually ended up providing quite a few, um, nice fights, some highlights, a lot of, a lot of action. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into that, uh, shortly. Uh, but outside of the, the world of MMA, um, it's been quite, quite nice. Uh, we've got some family over in the Sandu household from, uh, from Canada. And, um, so I've got my brother-in-law in town at the moment. Uh, he was kind enough to bring a, a box of Tim Hortons donuts. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tim Hortons, Simon. Um, but it's, it's a Canadian Institute. It really is. It's some of the best donuts you'll ever have in your entire life. Um, so if you're ever in the neck, if, if you're ever in Toronto or Vancouver on your travels, I highly recommend you check out Tim Hortons. See, I, I'm, I'm not con- contrary to popular belief, given my physique, I'm not that <laughs> much of a donut aficionado. Like Krispy Kreme, I understand the level of Krispy Kreme. Where would they rank? Are they, are they better than that? In my opinion, they're the best donuts in the world. Wow. So that's okay. saying something. Wow. If, if that doesn't earn you a box of Tim Hortons donuts, I don't know what does. Um, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been pro wrestling, not personally, yeah, taking, I've, I've not been taking part, I've been, uh, I've been part of the audience, but it was good fun, progress wrestling in, uh, in London, they do some, they do some great stuff, punk rock pro wrestling is what they, uh, they call themselves, and, uh, William Regal, for any WWE fans out there, he, he popped in and, uh, made an appearance, um, and, uh, it was good stuff, it's nice to, it's nice to go out and check out some of that sort of stuff, it was, it was good fun, I hope to do a bit more of that, but, that's sports entertainment, and we are in the uh, 
I guess this is sports entertainment as well, but this is this is this is altogether more real. And uh, in terms of the uh, the lack of predeterminism and the fact that we don't know what's going to happen beforehand, uh, and the best the best example of that, I guess, is is the main event at UFC 201. Uh, Tyron Woodley upsetting Robbie Lawler, two minutes and twelve seconds, fastest knockout in UFC welterweight championship history. Um, I think we all knew that Tyron was good. Uh, I don't think there were that many of us who picked him to beat Robbie Lawler, and certainly not in the way he did. That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? It was, and I think um, kind of I, I picked Lawler going into the fight, and kind of the, the main reason I did that is just due to Lawler's activity. You know, he's been fighting quite consistently over the last couple of years, and, and Woodley was coming in to this fight after an 18-month layoff, and you know uh, he, he's he's been involved in a few movies. So I, I wasn't really sure, you know, if uh, well. I thought ring rust or cage rust um, would play its part, but it, it certainly didn't. I mean, we all knew that Tyron was going to be an explosive. He's an explosive fighter, uh, gets most of his you know work done early on in fights, and it proved to be the case on Saturday night. Yeah, and no, it was great performance from Tyron Woodley, who um, brushed off the uh, the very polite invitation to fight uh, Wonder Boy Thompson next. Wonder Boy was working as a pundit and did a pretty good job from uh, from what I saw. He, he was he was quite a good addition to the panel. Um, but yeah, he, he very respectfully uh, asked to take on Tyron Woodley next, and Tyron pretty much brushed him off, said he'd rather face uh, Nick Diaz. But things have progressed since then, and it looks as if uh, he also fancies a crack at George St. Pierre, and St. Pierre has, has apparently said he'd be, he'd be more than willing to entertain that suggestion, so you never know. Uh, of all the people, it looks as if Tyron Woodley might be the man to finally get GSP back into the octagon. I mean... It's possibly not the biggest money fight you can make for GSP, but it'd be good to see the Canadian back. Well, I think with GSP, you can put him in there with a broomstick and he'll make money, you know? Um, just the, the fact that GSP is going to make a comeback, that alone is box office. That alone is a massive draw. And uh, I saw a lot of people online kind of, you know, criticize Woodley for kind of, you know, quote-unquote ducking uh, Wonderboy Thompson, but... I can see where Woodley's coming from. You know, he hasn't fought in 18 months. You know, this is pro- you know, the, his primary source of revenue, you know, fighting for the UFC. Um, and at his age, he wants to cash in and get those big money fights. So I wasn't surprised when he said he'd want to fight Nick Diaz, who is now, you know, available to fight again, uh, coming off his 18-month suspension. Uh, he also mentioned GSP. And, uh, yeah, uh, I saw today that GSP made a comment to our friend Ariel Hawani by by text message saying he was interested in coming back and interested in the Woodley fight and and I'm sure that was music to Woodley's ears too. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what the uh the new ownership uh situation with the UFC uh can can do about getting GSP back into the octagon. Obviously it you know there's been talk about GSP wanting to come back for a while. Um but there's never really been any any actual movement that that, that, that we've been really that aware of in terms of making real steps for him to come back. He talked about doing a fight camp, but from an organisation point of view, we haven't really seen too much. Uh, and there's always been that, that slot nagging thing about the, you know, the Reebok deal, and obviously GSP's got this uh, multi-million dollar contract with Under Armour. So I'm wondering whether the new, the new management at the UFC might be able to grease a few wheels and do a few things and, and maybe get this thing across the line and actually get GSP back in the octagon. Sport needs stars, and there aren't that many out there bigger than GSP. It'd be great to have him back. Um, 
But uh, another one of the stories that, that, that came out this weekend, someone who isn't yet a star, but maybe could become one, certainly in Europe, Karolina Kowalkiewicz, um, went and beat Rose Namajunas. Now, I know Rose was a, a big favourite, certainly on on, uh, on the opposite side of the pond. Everyone knows all about her. Karolina is perhaps less well-known, uh, got very good striking pedigree, put on a great performance. Uh, I think she probably lost that first round, but came back well. Uh, to get the to get the victory over Rose and potentially set up an all Poland title fight. Yeah, it was a great performance by uh, by Karolina. Um, I think yeah, uh, like uh, many, uh, I was also picking Rose Namajunas um, going into that fight. But uh, Karolina was definitely a live dog in every sense of the word, and she proved to kind of you know get the job done over the course of three rounds. Much like um, Joanna Janjacek got off to a bit of a slow start um, last month versus Claudia Gadella. Uh, but proved to to be the victor over the course of 25 minutes. Uh, stamina and uh, getting those deadly knees to the body. Lots of great clinch work against the fence. Um, and Rose didn't really have an answer for for that in rounds two and three. And, and like you said, it sets up now um, you know a Polish civil war. Uh, I've dubbed it uh, good friends, better enemies because uh, Karolina and Joanna they they recently shot a commercial together. Um, uh, in Poland and, and you know, was seen to be quite friendly on set. Uh, there's a bit of history there. I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Joanna has uh, a victory over Carolina back in their amateur days. Um, and that, and who knows, maybe this is a fight uh, that, that the UFC could put on in Poland. I, I know that, you know, going back to Poland uh, in 2016, you know, wasn't really part of their plans to go back so quickly. Um, but sometimes, like they did with Stipe in Cleveland, like they're doing with Michael Bisping going to Manchester, I think when you've got an opportunity with two Polish fighters in a market where KSW is still king, you've got a fantastic opportunity to really go into that Polish market and solidify yourself as the number one uh, MMA promotion in the world. Um, and with two you know, female Polish fighters, there's so many great marketing spins you can do off that and make them really, really big stars in their home country. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest... I think the biggest enemy to that idea is is timing. I think uh, had this had this bout had happened towards the end of this year, I think it would have made it a lot more feasible. We've got we've still got five months of 20, 2016 to go, and I'm not sure if there's any room in the calendar to squeeze a Polish event in between now and and the end of the end of this year. So to sit Joanna on the sidelines for that long while waiting for Poland next year is probably not going to happen. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they made that fight for Manchester, if, if this Manchester thing actually comes through. Um, there was talk about Joanna potentially being on that card anyway. Joanna hinted herself during uh, the, uh, the Fight Club Q&A in Chicago that she may be needed for, for, for a Manchester event. Um, would it be Carolina? I think had uh, Rose won, I'm pretty sure that, that fight would have happened. Now it's Car- uh, now it's uh, Carolina. Um, could 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 we see Poland versus Poland in the UK? Which, as as we said on last week's show, has got a sizable Polish uh, population. So maybe maybe we'll see that in the UK. Who knows? Uh, there's also talk of another Emaya show in the UK before the end of the year as well. So maybe maybe it might go in there. Who knows? But um, be interesting to see what happens. I, I think. I think we're going to see uh, Joanna defend her belt against Carolina, and I think it will have to be a pay-per-view. And if you look at the slate coming up, 
Uh, I think your two biggest options are going to be Manchester, like you mentioned, uh, and there's rumours of that being, you know, UFC 204. Again, still nothing official there. Um, or you've got UFC 205 in New York, and both England and and the state of New York has a massive Polish contingent. And um, and, and the fact that you know uh, Joanna's last fight wasn't on pay per view, she is a fighter. Uh, I believe as a champion, you know, you get upgraded in your contract, and you do, you, you do get pay per view points. So I think she'd want to get back onto a pay per view. Um, and the fact that she could do it in a time zone, uh, obviously uh, England just an, an hour or two away uh, time difference from Poland. That will make things a little bit easier. And it will also give a, a chance for both, you know, you know, Carolina and Joanna's fans from Poland to actually make it out um, fairly, fairly cheaply uh, to an event so close to home. You know, Manchester to Poland is only a couple of hours away. Uh, so if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I'd say we're probably going to see, like you mentioned, Sai, uh, Joanna versus Carolina, the co-main event of UFC 204 in Manchester. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the other storylines, and it's, it's kind of been shunted down the list a little bit, what with Tyron uh, knocking out Robbie Lawler so spectacularly. Um, he picked up a performance of the night bonus to Tyron Woodley, but the other recipient of a performance of the night bonus was Jake Ellenberger, who uh, this really was do or die for him, wasn't it? It was, it was, uh, he was on the verge of being cut by the UFC, and he basically begged the UFC to give him one more fight. And they gave him Matt Brown. Of all the people to give somebody who asked for one more fight, they give him Matt Brown, which on paper looked like an absolutely horrible, horrible matchup. And Ellenberger goes straight out there, decks him with the first punch of the fight, and then folds him up with a body kick uh, and finishes him in 106 seconds. Uh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, nobody that I spoke to since has seen that coming. Did you see that coming? I did not see that coming at all. I thought um, Ellenberger, he definitely saved his UFC career with that victory. And I kind of I kind of felt for him coming into this fight because his last five losses were to Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler, Kevin, Kev, Kelvin Gastelum, Stephen Thompson, and Tarek Safdie. And we're talking about the who's who of the top 10 in the welterweight division. Um, and, and now that he's got back to winning ways, um, I think you really need to be careful with how you matchmake him moving forward. I still think um, he's got marquee value. He's still got lots of potential. And I think if you can just build him back up, you know, slowly, um, you can potentially get, you know, get him to a, a stage where he can potentially, you know, contend for the title maybe in the next year to 18 months. But you've got to be really careful with how you matchmake him. Yeah, it's interesting. He seems to have picked up a, a new lease of life. I think he's training with King's MMA and uh, Rafael Cordero. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've always known that Ellenberger can, uh, can pack, a, pack a decent punch. But now he's got some some serious uh, some serious striking coaching behind him as well and a change of scenery sometimes is all it needs to sort of rejuvenate a fighter but that combined with him being back against the wall and you know staring staring his walking papers in the face to turn around and do that and to do it against someone like Matt Brown who doesn't go away very easily uh, you know to actually take him out that 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 impressively was was quite something it'd be really interesting to see uh, what happens next for the juggernaut, Jake Ellenberger. Matt Brown um, has already been on social media thanking everyone for, for their backing, saying that, don't worry, this is just a little road a road bump. I'm going to be back, and I'm going to be back soon. Um, other fights on that main card, Eric Perez and Francisco Rivera. Um, Perez nicking that one by unanimous decision. All right, fight. It didn't really go as crazy as I thought it was going to go until the 30, first 30 seconds of the last round where all hell broke loose. Um, 
but it, it, it was all right. It wasn't fantastic, was it? No, and I, and I think Max Holloway started something now um, <laughs> w- with this, uh, you know, throwing your your finger to the ground and kind of like just going, you know, all guns blazing in the last thirty seconds. And uh, anything can happen if, if if that's the way you're going to end a fight. Absolutely, anything can happen. But no, I was expecting a little bit more out of both guys. Um, I think in the in the end, I was I was I was happy with the decision. Um, but it's not exactly a fight I'm going to remember a few weeks from now. No, no. One one thing that, that I will certainly remember from that event, and incredible to think that he didn't earn a bonus for this, Nikita Krylov's uh, head kick knockout of Ed Herman was, it's got to be on the list for one of the best uh, knockouts, certainly in the UFC this season, as soon as this season, this year. Um, <laughs> seeing, uh, seeing that immediately reminded me of Scott Askham's head kick knockout of Chris Dempsey in London. Uh, Askham wobbled Dempsey with a, a straight left and then knocked him out with a with a head kick and just walked off. And Krilov did something very similar with Ed Herman, who looked pretty tough in that first round, so I hung in there, and then Krilov just, just put him away. That was impressive stuff. Yeah, I was actually surprised that uh, Krilov couldn't get it done the first round. 19 of his 20 wins prior to the fight, he's finished in the first round. And I have to say, since dropping back down from heavyweight, I think we've got a potential contender on our hands in the light heavyweight division that is desperate and starving uh, for, for new contenders and new challengers to make their way up. Uh, and again, I think some careful matchmaking and uh, you can really you know, bring Krylov up. I mean, I kind of mentioned perhaps um, he could fight the winner of uh, Jan Blakovic versus Alexander Gustafsson. Somebody else on Twitter mentioned Jimmy Manua. Something in that ballpark I think would be great. And again, it's another Russian uh, coming in uh, to the UFC really making a statement, uh, and he's exciting to, to watch. He's, a, he's an all-round mixed martial artist. If you look at his record, he's got wins by a knockout, he's got wins by a submission, and he's, he's on a streak now. He's got five in a row in the UFC and in the, in the light heavyweight division, which is not easy to do whatsoever. Uh, so it's onwards and upwards for, for the guy that used to be called Al Capone, now called the minor. Not sure about that nickname change there. I really liked Al Capone. Um, but I'm really excited to see what the UFC does with the next. Absolutely, I, I love the sound of the uh, I love the sound of the Jimmy Manoa fight. By the way, I think I think that's an that's an absolute belter of a fight if if they can get that one made. Another fight on that prelim card saw Jorge Masvidal take on Ross the Real Deer Pearson, uh, the most active man on the UFC roster in 2016. That was his fourth fight, Sandu. Unbelievable stuff. Didn't go his way on fight night though. No, and it's, it was his first kind of back-to-back loss in, in quite some time. I mean, uh, actually, ever, looking at his record right now, that was his first back-to-back um, set of losses. And he's, uh, he's, he's 1-3 this year, Sai. Um, and I know he's, he's a favorite of Dana White's, but um, sooner or later, Ross Pearson is going to have to um, figure it out. Otherwise, he could just be labeled um, the lightweight, or in this case, the welterweight gatekeeper. Uh, and I don't think that's the label anybody really wants. Uh, but more, but more than more than anything, I think now he's facing um, a potential three and you're out strike rate rule. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't gone his way. When he does lose, it is by decision. It's not as if he's getting uh, knocked out or tapped out or anything. Uh, but Ross really needs to kind of figure out what what is going on and and, and figure this whole thing out. You'd say he didn't get knocked out, but he did get knocked bandy in that in that second round. Uh, yeah. Masvidal dropped him quite heavily and uh, looked to finish the fight. Pearson did incredibly well to survive. 
but the worrying the worrying sign at the end of that second round, of course, was um, yeah. Masvidal was obviously celebrating the fact he just had what was pretty much a 10-8 round in, in some people's eyes. He, it was a dominant round. So he walked back to his corner with his hands raised. Pearson, whether it was just instinctive because he saw Masvidal celebrating or whether he'd been, he'd been cracked in the head and he didn't realise what round it was, uh, he also raised both his hands and went over to hug Masvidal. It looked very much like he thought that was the end of the fight. Uh, yeah, and to be honest with you, I think it's perhaps moments like that where if the referee saw him do that, that's when perhaps a ref needs to kind of jump in and make a judgment call. If you, if you see a fire um, thinking it's already over when there's still a round to go, um, or if you're his corner and, you know, you've got to take some responsibility there. And if you see your, your fire reacting the way that Ross Pearson did, that's perhaps a, a moment where you can check yourself and maybe throw in the towel. Um, so it was a bit troublesome to see him react that way and then come back for another round. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what can you say? Sometimes these things happen in MMA, as the saying goes. Yeah, I mean, it would have, it would have been uh, quite something for, for Eric Del Fierro in the corner to have, to have pulled Ross from that fight. But given what we saw on the television uh, and uh, the comment on social media from, from, from the guys in the media who were actually watching, watching the fight, I don't think anybody would have complained if that had happened. Ross obviously would have been less than impressed. Uh, and probably would have had a few angry words for his corner initially, but um, yeah, it is a little worry. I mean, you know, we are dealing with it, with a, with a contact sport here, and people get hit in the head routinely, and concussions happen. Um, but it's important that, that that these guys get looked after as best they can. Uh, thankfully, it looks like Ross is okay. He got to the end of the fight, showed no no ill effects at the end of it. Hopefully, we you know he hasn't since. Um, and he lost that by by unanimous decision. Uh, Masvidal, for his part, I thought looked outstanding, and I said after the fight, maybe one day, because they're on different career paths right, uh, right now, but as a stylistic matchup, Masvidal versus Nate Diaz, I'd love to see that fight. Yeah, as long as he can, you know, uh, crack on um, with this the momentum coming off this win against uh, against Pearson, uh, but Masvidal was also in that kind of uh, position where he had back to back losses <sighs> with the uh, with Benson Henderson and Lorenz Larkin. So, in many ways, maybe he also saved his UFC career uh, by getting this uh, win over Ross Pearson. I think for him, it's all about consistency now. Uh, he he's a great fire on on his night when when he's got all you know firing on all cylinders. Um, and uh, I'm a fan of his. He's a fan favorite. He, he's, he's always in an exciting fight. So uh, if he can maybe string maybe a few more wins together, I mean, if you're talking about Nate Diaz, I think he's just on another level right now. You know, he's uh, he's going to really pick and choose who he fights. And uh, unless you can really draw big at the box office, uh, you know, Nate Diaz now is is the money fight for a lot of guys in the lightweight and I suppose welterweight division as well. So um, so yeah, I agree. Stylistically, that would be a barn burner of a fight. Uh, but for Masvidal, he really needs to get some consistency now and string some wins together. Absolutely. I mean, he's a guy who, in the past, has looked superb, but has been accused of taking his foot off the pedal during fights. Um, didn't see that so much against Pearson, so that was an improved outing from him. Looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Uh, and obviously, we hope that Pearson bounces back and gets a big W in his next in his next outing. On the topic of British fighters, Sandu... Uh, we've got two more British fighters that have been added to the UFC roster in the last seven days. And uh, amazingly, and honestly, completely coincidentally, one of them is a guy that we spoke about on last week's show, Mark Diacasey. 
uh, a sign for the UFC. Uh, Bama actually uh, announced it. Um, and uh, it was a really nice touch, I thought, the way they announced it. Um, basically wishing him all the best and uh, sort of cutting him loose and letting him letting him loose in the big leagues with the UFC. Uh, and he's immediately called out Artem Lobov, uh, who uh, immediately engaged in a bit of back and forth on Twitter. Um, I assume that Artem would, would move up to lightweight for that fight because um, he's a 145er normally. But... Um, yeah, I mean, thoughts on Diakazi? I think he'd be an explosive new addition. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about Mark Diakazi, you're talking about a 23-year-old who's 9-0, and um, who's just been absolutely on a tear recently, especially as uh, we spoke about last week, his last two outings. Um, he beat Rick Selvaraja, uh, Bama 22, in 24 seconds. And then he followed that up by knocking out Kane Musa in 36 seconds. Um, so if he can carry that kind of momentum straight into the UFC with those kind of performances, it won't take long uh, for him to become a fan favorite uh, and for him to really kind of rise through the ranks of the UFC. Having said that, though, Sai, we've been covering the sport long enough to know um, that we've seen Brits, uh, you know, British prospects um, come and go in the UFC. Um, very few have been able to get some longevity, uh, and really build a career in the UFC. Um, so uh, now we'll find out what Mark is made of. Um, he's got the opportunity on the grand stage, uh, and let's see if he, can, uh, if, he can, if he can make it happen. Absolutely. He's, he's, I think he's, he's a good age. He's only 23, as you say. I think he's still got a lot of improving to do in his career. You know, he isn't, he isn't hitting the UFC at his peak. He's still got a lot of... Uh, a lot of development and a lot of improving still still to come in his career. Um, and uh, he's, he's already a very, very exciting fighter. Um, I, think he'll, I think he'll do very well with the press. He's got a good disposition about him. And um, if you go around knocking people out inside 30, 35 seconds, people are going to sit up and pay attention to you. So, And I know there's been a little bit of excitement about him joining the UFC from some of our colleagues on the other side of the pond as well, which is great. But the other side of this, of course, is he's joining the UFC 155-pound division, the biggest shark tank in the UFC. Um, he's going to find no shortage of very, very, very talented opposition uh, to, to get his teeth into. And if he can make any headway in that division, then uh, we really do have a talent on our hands. So best of luck to him. Um, the suggestion seems to be that his first bout may well be in Manchester, um, so uh, whether it's against Artem or whether it's against someone else um, looking forward to seeing Dia Casey make his UFC debut hopefully on home soil in, in a couple of months time another name who's joined the UFC who this call has, has been a long time coming my friend this one, uh, my, the first ever domestic event I covered uh, for the Daily Mirror way back when was Bama 7 and I think we're on Bama 26 now uh, it was Bama 7. It was supposed to be Tom Kong Watson versus Frank Trigg for the Bama middleweight title. Uh, Watson was the champion back then. Watson got injured. He had, uh, I think he had herniated discs in his back and he had to go and have back operation. Uh, Jimmy Wallhead stepped in against Frank Trigg. Massive underdog, beat him. Um, and uh, it was a fantastic night. A good night of fights, actually. And uh, Wallhead was the star of the show. And uh, he's, he's a real legend of UK MMA. 
he gets his call up to the UFC. He takes on Jesse Nayari, uh, who's making his UFC debut as well, and that's going to go down at UFC Hamburg. Uh, great to see Judo Jimmy in the UFC, Sandu. Absolutely. Uh, and what you're getting with Judo Jimmy now entering the UFC is a veteran of the sport. Um, he's 29 and 9. He's got almost 40 professional fights under his belt. Uh, the majority of his fights have been in England uh, with, the, with the odd fight in Russia and Abu Dhabi um, on his resume. He's fought for the likes of uh, for Cage Warriors and Bama and KSW. And uh, I think everyone in the UK MMA uh, scene were really happy uh, to see him finally get the call up. Um, so well, let's see what he's got. You know, he's at 32 years of age. Um, he's got a lot of fights uh, under his belt. Um, whether he's, you know, uh, coming towards the end of his prime, entering the prime, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if uh, good old-fashioned octagon jitters uh, plays any uh, part uh, in his debut. Um, I, I don't think it will. I think he's mentally very tough. And, uh, and yeah, really, really happy for him more than anything else. And, and I hope he can make the most of this opportunity. Yeah, and what a week to get the news as well. He got married, like, the day before. He got married the day before, and then the, the, uh, the following day he gets the phone call, calling up, uh, giving him the call up to the UFC. Uh, not a bad week for Judo Jimmy Wallhead, it's fair to say, and uh, look forward to, uh, to chatting with him in fight week in Hamburg in a few weeks' time. September the 3rd, uh, that one goes down in Germany. Uh, right. We need to talk about the BT Sport deal. I know we covered this yes. in, in enormous length uh, last last week. Uh, it was the most asked question when we were asking people for questions. It's August the 1st today that we're recording. Today is officially the start of the new BT Sport uh, UK deal uh, with the UFC. Runs to the end of uh, 2018. And the reason for that is it will cease at the same time that the Fox deal in America ceases. Uh Awful amount of stuff to cover here. Uh, I guess the first thing, the first thing to uh, to go through, Sandu, is the big, you know, the main benefits of this deal as opposed to the old deal. Uh, yeah, and I guess it all comes down to just consistency. Um, we both spoke about it last week, Sai. Um, we're both Virgin uh, Media customers, uh, which means we get BT Sport as a part of the package for free. So essentially for us, there is absolutely zero change. We don't need to change provider. We don't need to make any extra subscriptions anywhere else. It is, as Dana White has said for many, many years, it is business as usual. Um, I think the main thing that came out of the announcement was the fact that we're now going to finally have these European cards airing prime time, which hopefully should lead uh, to more uh, eyeballs and, and, uh, and, a, and a bigger audience uh, being attracted to the UFC as a brand, uh, and it will definitely help the, the sport grow. But aside from the official announcement that was made by the UFC and BT Sport um, last week, um, it, was, it was great that you had the chance to actually speak to James Elliott um, and the UFC with an exclusive uh, interview there and actually get more details outside of the actual official press release. So why don't you kind of run down exactly um, the main kind of features of this new deal? Yeah, I'll do it, in, I'll, I'll do it as, as, as quickly and as briefly as possible because it, it could go into many hours and I won't do that and bore everyone. But the, the, uh, the main highlights are everything's going to be in one place. Every single UFC event will be live on BT Sport. And the way that that breaks down is as follows. The Fight Pass prelims will remain exclusive to UFC Fight Pass. The televised prelims that are normally on Fox in America, BT Sport will have those live. 
but they will also now share those with UFC Fight Pass, which I will talk about in a minute. But the key thing, every main card now will be live. So the stuff that was on Fight Pass exclusively before will now be will now be live on BT Sport. That means everything, whether it's in Japan, whether it's in Poland, whether it's in Dublin, whether it's in Brazil, the US, Canada, anywhere, if it's on, it's it's on BT Sport. So that's the great thing. Fight Pass has been enhanced for UK fans. People ask me, uh, does this mean that Fight Pass is now somehow diminished? Actually, we've got a better Fight Pass product than most people now because Fight Pass now also has these TV prelims. So if you happen to be out and about uh, and you normally need to rush back to watch the UFC on BT Sport because you haven't got the app, you can watch, you know, you've, you've got a bit more leeway. You've got the flexibility of using Fight Pass. So you can watch the watch the prelims on the go. So so that's pretty useful as well. Uh, we're also, I believe, going to get the the full event replays on Fight Pass a lot faster. I think before it would be like 30 days or something before we got it, or at least a couple of weeks. Now we're going to get them 48 hours after the event. That's my understanding. Um, and uh, so that's great news as well. So if you've got the, the Fight Pass BT Sport uh, win double in terms of your subscriptions, then that's great news. Um, so that's really useful as well. So they're the main headlines. Um, the other thing, of course, is they're going to ramp up promotion. The UFC have said they're going to look to give BT Sport more programming to put on, whether that means additional stuff from America, but also maybe more UK-based stuff. And that's where I think we really want to see some see some uh, so, some improvement and development. Uh, one of the things I did this week, and I'd love to get your take on this, Sandu, is um, first thing I did was I asked people what their viewing habits were, how they actually watched this stuff live, and got a real mix of responses. Some people, some people actually uh, prefer to record the shows and watch them first thing in the morning. Some people will just plough through and watch them. So people watch them in different ways, but I then followed up and said, okay, what's the one change you would make and I ask people to be constructive um, rather than rather than uh, critiquing, and uh, got some got some really good responses from people saying, "What was the one change that you would make just to enhance BT Sports coverage this time round?" And I've got I've got some really good stuff. We've got an article up on the Sun website uh, with a with a load of bits and pieces in there. I'd love to get your take on it, buddy. What what would you do if you had if you had the year of uh, Simon Green, the head of BT Sport, and he said. Okay, Sandu, I'll action. I'll action one of your ideas. What idea would you give it? Well, I think we spoke about it last week. We just want to see better shoulder programming or better magazine programming. What we saw in the in the last three years is, um, uh, you know, a really good effort to begin with. We had this kind of like new show, Beyond the Octagon. Uh, with Gareth A. Davies and Caroline Pierce, and, and and it was almost like an hour-long weekly studio show, and then then it turned into a half an hour highlight real show with Gareth A. Davies just providing voiceover work, and then and then maybe once a month they might do a gym visit, but it turned into a shorter half an hour program, um, and then you know it, eventually now it doesn't seem like it's it's something that people you know you know watch watch anymore and you've got some great content on the youtube channel from the european office here in london where you've got john gooden and dan hardy uh, inside the octagon great analysis work that's the kind of programming that could easily be transferable over onto bt sport um before big cards um so i'd personally like to see the use of um, uk or european talent with the likes of uh, Dan Hardy and John Gooden. It's it's great getting 
some of the um, the, the North American content over here. Uh, but it's stuff that's kind of pretty much easily accessible uh, for us anyway online. Um, so to get some homegrown talent providing some um, indigenous content over on this side of the pond, that's what I'd like to see more than anything else. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. I mean, it's almost laughable, really, to think that, you know, we've had we've had uh, we've had shoulder programming of some description running on on BT for for three years, and we've got a British former world title challenger who went the distance with one of the greatest fighters of all time uh, in the very first title fight to to feature a British fighter, and he's never really been used. Um, it, and he's also a darn good analyst as well, you know, uh, Dan Hardy. So. The fact that he's not been used in particular is, is, is been, it's a bit of a head-scratcher, really. So you'd like to think that, that John and Dan would be uh, certainly given more of a platform. I think, I think they're both outstanding at what they do. I think, uh, I think the fans, they adore Dan, and, and rightly so. I mean, you know, he's, he's someone who really, you know, the fans really get behind him. They know he's legit. He's legit as a fighter. He's legit as a pundit. And he breaks fights down as, as well as anybody in the game. And you only need to listen to to uh, what the guys over in America say. You know they they love Gooden and Hardy as a as a duo, and they'd like to see and hear more of more of them over there. So to think that we haven't really got them on our own native TV channel just seems a little bit weird. So yeah, I totally agree with you. That would be that would be the uh, certainly one of the suggestions for me. And this is a tricky one: is cutting back on these ad breaks. And, and not missing out on so much stuff. It happened again, unfortunately, on Saturday, where there's a great promo for UFC 202 was aired, which which was missed because of an ad break. Um, it's I understand some of the reasons why this happens. I'll, I'll, I'll touch upon this very quickly. Basically, uh, the uh, the actual event gets given as a as a world feed to to broadcasters around the world. And with that world feed comes a running order, so it explains how everything is put together and when things are being run. But I also know from talking to guys who work on the broadcast side with the UFC that that running order is incredibly fluid and can change multiple times on the fly during the night. So it's very hard. If you're not, if, and I don't know whether there's someone in the gallery physically uh, putting the ad breaks on when the time comes or whether they're scheduled. Um, but I do, I do think that... I mean, we knew that promo was coming because we were on social media and Zach Candito, the supervising producer, tweeted to say it was coming and, and when it would happen. So for it to then still be missed, I think that's one of the, one of the things that can maybe be ironed out a little bit. Um, cutting out ad breaks altogether, I think, might be a little bit unrealistic just because they've got to pay for this stuff. And uh, in America, people are paying 50 bucks a pop for it. So running ad-free is not so much of a financial issue. So I understand the need for adverts, but it's just a placement sometimes. Just being a little bit more, uh, a little bit more proactive and a bit more smart in terms of where you place them and when you place them. So that would be probably the number one thing for me. Um, but the BT Sport deal, massive, massive uh, deal for the UK. Everything stays where it is. Uh, thoughts to the Irish, Irish fans. I just want to mention them because... Um, if you've been getting BT via Satanta on your Virgin package in Ireland, uh, Virgin have now dropped Satanta and therefore dropped BT Sport, which is now part of Aircom, I believe. So people are now having to get out of their Virgin contract to get with Aircom 
in order to continue watching BT Sports. So even though it's business as usual for us UK guys, uh, the uh, the boys and girls over in Ireland have got it a little bit more tricky if they're with Virgin at the moment. So uh, fingers crossed everything goes okay and everyone gets to see uh, all the events. The first event in the New Deal will be this weekend, UFC Fight Night in Salt Lake City, Utah. Yair Rodriguez, El Pantera, taking on uh, Bruce Leroy himself. Uh, Caceres, Alex Caceres. That is going to be a spectacular, a spectacular main event to kick things off. Sandu, we've got some more questions. We asked for questions. Did we get any? We did, and uh, we want to thank everyone actually um, for for hitting us up at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter or using the hashtag the Brit Pack. Um, and this is going to be a, a weekly feature on the, on the show where uh, we're going to we're going to end the show. Uh, by uh, answering as many of your questions as humanly possible, uh, quick fire. And uh, I want to get things going uh, by Chippo, um, who says, we have seen a lot of upsets since USADA has come in. Coincidence? Or do you think there's more to it? What do you think, Sai? That's a really good question. It's also a leading question as well, because th- the inference there is, does this mean all the champions were juicing and now they're not, they're getting beat? I don't necessarily subscribe to that um, because obviously the you know treating the champions of the challenges as different different groups of people I don't think you can do that so I just think that the the level of competition in this sport certainly the playing field is level or certainly more level but at the very top of the sport we're dealing with you know athletes at the pinnacle of sort of physical fitness these guys are the best of the best and the nature of the sport is such that there are so many ways to win and lose a fight. And every fight you go in there and it's on a knife edge. And we saw it with Tyron Woodley. Um, most people thought that, that, that Lawler would take him into deep water and, and, and deal with him in the championship rounds. But it didn't get to that. You know, Woodley's explosive power and, and, and his ability to time, time his attack and blitz him at just the right moment was what won in the fight. Another way, you know, another day it could have gone into the fourth or fifth rounds, and Lola could have busted him up. Um, it's a remarkable run. We've lost seven champions in seven months, uh, which is incredible. There's, there's, there's ten, there's ten championship belts, and seven champions have lost their titles this year. So um, it's quite remarkable. And I think we're on a run of like four pay per views in a row where uh, a champion has lost their belt. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you can attribute it specifically to Usada. I think. I think there's an awful lot more involved. Yeah, I don't subscribe to it either. And I, I think it just goes down to how unpredictable this sport is. And and you already me- already mentioned we've had seven title changes in seven months. That just goes to show how unpredictable the sport is. Nothing more. Nothing less. I think you can perhaps pin the whole Usada thing on one or two fires, and obviously. You know, the, the one that comes to mind is the, the poster boy of TRT, Vitor Belfort himself, where obviously when he was on TRT, you could see, you know, he, he, he didn't really pass the smell test or the eye test, so to speak. And his performances were just absolutely ridiculous. He was just knocking guys out left, right and center. And then since USADA came in, aesthetically, you can see there's been a massive change in his body uh, and his performances as of late as well. Uh, but I, I don't think you can place that on you know, on a whole batch of fighters and, and attribute that to uh, some of the results we've been seeing over the past kind of year, you know, year to, to, to nine months or so. But, um, but, but moving on, um, Graham Hughes, he, he tweets in and he says, any news on the Manchester card 
was expecting an announcement over the weekend. Now, this is quite interesting because uh, as me and Simon were preparing for episode two during the week, we, we, we knew that we'd be talking about the BT Sport deal, and we thought we might finally be able to openly talk about um, UFC 204 in Manchester because at the moment it's still classified as a rumor. And, um, you know, Dan Henderson himself in an interview with our friend Niall McGrath at Severe MMA, he literally came out and said, yeah, it'll, you know, it should be a pay-per-view, it should be in Manchester. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I don't know what, what, why we're still waiting. Maybe it's got to do with just getting the local council for permission or the permit in Manchester for a late night car or a late night license. Um, but we should be, uh, you know, getting an official announcement by the UFC very, very soon. Um, I mean, do you think, Simon, by this time, this time next week, we'll finally be able to talk about it? Well, you'd like to think it'll be quite soon because obviously you need a run up. You need, you need a run up. Um, for the, for ticket sales, um, and uh, they like to give themselves a, a reasonable amount of time to to promote the event, to get the on sale dates set, and start to build the card. Um, so we pretty much think we've got a main event. Uh, that would be enough to announce if we've got. I mean, you know, we announced London, and we didn't have a main event, and the, you know, the thing still sold out, and I think it was twenty eight minutes. So. Uh, Manchester with Bisbing versus Dan Henderson as the main event. Tickets are going to go flying out the door, irrespective of who else is on that card. So I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think that maybe there's, you know, there's a few um, logistical and uh, perhaps bureaucratic reasons why we haven't had an announcement yet. Dealing with councils, having worked for one uh, many, <laughs> many years ago, um, it's 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 laborious to say the least to get to you know to get stuff done. The amount of red tape and paperwork that needs dealing with, um, so it really does. If if it's that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, I won't I won't worry too much. I think uh, you know as soon as as soon as everything's good to go, um, you know we'll hear. I certainly don't think we'll be hearing it left as late as the TV deal announcement, for example. Purely for the be- for the point of view, they've got to flog the tickets, and uh, yeah. so I think I think we'll hear relatively soon. Fair enough. Right, Andrew Garvey tweets in. If he signed for the UFC tomorrow, how would you rate Paddy Pimblett's chances? Hashtag the Brit Pack. Well, he's he's one of these guys who, you know, we talk about, you know, the sport-needing characters, and Paddy Pimblett is definitely one of those. He's also very, very talented. He's on a fantastic run of form right now. I think he's won, I think he's won seven on the spin. Um, and, uh, I think you know, 11 and 1. And he's 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 absolutely itching for this call up to get into the UFC. Um, and uh, again, he, he fights at, he fights at one fifty five. I think he could I think he could probably do uh, make it down to one forty five. But I think mainly he's a, he's a fifty five. So um, again, that's a talent stack division to start dropping yourself into. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they sign him. Uh, he's he's only 21, so maybe they want to leave him a little bit longer, let him season a bit more. Uh, he's fighting for Cage Warriors. He's due to fight uh, on the Cage Warriors September the 10th card uh, at the Echo Arena in Liverpool. Uh, we don't know who's going to face yet, but um, but yeah, I mean, he's as 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 a British podcast and as two British British journalists, we want to see the best British talent in the UFC, and Paddy is certainly one of those guys. So fingers crossed, he gets that call up. Um, certainly if he doesn't get it in time for this this particular uh, UK show, maybe in time for the next one. That would be fantastic for him. 
Absolutely. Right, so we've got Andrew Sword who tweets in, how does KK do against JJ? He's obviously referring to Karolina Kowalkiewicz versus Joanna Jaunjacek. And uh, actually, I can't wait to hear how Mike Goldberg handles the call of that fight when it does go down. Um, but in regards to the actual fight itself, it, it's hard to pick against Joanna Jaunjacek. I think her form has been absolutely outstanding. We've seen her um, really kind of you know dig deep in the Claudia Gidella fight. Uh, where she was, you know, two rounds down and she kind of fought her way back. I think the fact that she's already got a win over Carolina back in the amateur days might play a part. But I think overall, I think just combined with her years of Muay Thai experience, I think she's, and, you know, I know that Carolina has a, a Muay Thai background as well, but not to the level of Joanna Yan Jacek. And I think Joanna just been there, done that, bought the t-shirt on a lot more occasions around the world, been in high profile fights. Um, and she's proving to be, you know, one of the more consistent champions in the UFC, and that's for good reason. So, how it goes down, I think over the course of five rounds, um, we'd see Joanna um, get the better of Carolina, um, especially in in the striking realm, and uh, and get the uh, get the nod with a unanimous decision. That's how I think it'd go down. Simon, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think watching the two of them fight. Joanna seems to throw her strikes with an awful lot more fire than, than Carolina does. I don't know. Maybe it's just a perception thing, but um, Joanna seems to have a lot more, a lot more, um, a lot more oomph behind her punches. Um, and obviously, she's she's tested at the you know the very highest level in the UFC. Carolina's still working her way up. Got to respect Carolina's ability. She's undefeated as a mixed martial artist. So, you know, it's not like she's sort of just sort of found herself in this position. She's she's been in there and beaten everybody. And if you beat Rosanami Yunus, then then you deserve to get yourself a title shot. Um, I have a suspicion that the fight might go a similar way to the Valerie Letourneau fight, to be honest with you. I think I think Carolina's pretty pretty durable, pretty tough, and uh, we'll, we'll keep going. But I've just got this feeling that Joanna will, will, will end up Winning it relatively comfortably, and it, it could be could become a little one-sided as it gets into the later rounds. That's that's just based on what I've seen of the pair of them so far. But who knows? Your po- inter-Polish rivalry. Who knows? We could see we could see a, a women's MMA classic. Right. So my colleague at MMA Junkie and our good friend Abu Suban uh, tweets in: If the UFC was ever to do a comeback edition of The Ultimate Fighter. Who would you like to see get a chance at redemption? Um, so, I mean, I suppose, I mean, we spoke about this very briefly off air, Simon, because um, this is one of the tweets we saw come in earlier on in the day. And, uh, and like you said, I think we could probably do an entire show just on that one topic alone. But if we're just going to do this quick fire, I mean, having a look at some of the welterweights that aren't currently in the UFC, I look at the likes of maybe a Jake Shields and a John Fitch. And if we're just having a complete dream scenario, you know, and just cherry pick whoever you want, you know, contract or no contract with other promotions. Imagine having the likes of Josh Koscheck and Paul Daly uh, thrown into that welterweight mix. I think you could do uh, a welterweight uh, season, um, a comeback season of the Ultimate Fire and, uh, and produce another title challenger like Matt Serra did back in the day. Uh, but, but what do you think, Simon? If you were going to see a comeback edition of The Ultimate Fire, are there any fighters uh, that jump out to you straight away that you think you could do to, could, could, could do well on a comeback season of the show? Well, I don't know if I'd pick individual fighters. I, I'd go for a theme. And 
I've got one slightly sensible suggestion and one stupid one that I think would be quite funny. <laughs> um, the, the sensible-ish one would be go down the WEC route and gather together some of the uh, some of the big stars of the WEC from days past. Gather gather like two weight divisions worth and have two weight classes. Maybe have you know sort of eight from each and uh, have a, have a WEC themed season of the ultimate fighter i think i think that would play into the nostalgia i think uh, it would showcase some of the lighter weight classes and uh, it would give a bit of shine to some guys who have perhaps been at the top and are beginning to beginning to fall back into the pack a little bit so i think i think that would be a whole lot of fun if you want a stupid suggestion and i'm full of those then uh, we could have we could we could have the usada version of uh, the ultimate fighter with all the guys who are currently on suspension um, and uh, we could we could put them through a series of ridiculous physical challenges and do something daft with them, but uh, that's that's a bit stupid. But now I think the whole WEC thing, I think that might be viable. To be honest, I think the Ultimate Fighter is largely dead, and uh, I think I think you know looking for a fight seems to have taken over now, and that that seems to be doing quite well in terms of unearthing some actual talent. But for a comeback season, I'd go I'd go the WEC route. Yeah, I agree. I actually haven't seen The Ultimate Fighter in, in quite a few seasons, to be fair. Um, the show has just lost the appeal for me. Uh, and with so much MMA out there and, you know, other programming, especially online, um, like looking for a fight or, you know, other bits and pieces, that's where I think the attention is. If you, and I think you're right, looking for a fight, I mean, it's already done its job, if, if, you know, with the, with Sage Northcutt. If, I mean, if, and if you can just find one star, if you can, you know, generate a star once a year even, then that show has done its job. You know, it, it's already it's also produced Mickey Gall, who's going to fight CM Punk. Um, so I think that's kind of like the the favoured way for the UFC to try and bring up some of these um, regional prospects, especially in, in North America, uh, and give them a bit of a, a spotlight using their massive social media reach. So uh, okay, so so moving forward, final few questions. Um, the next one comes in from our Canadian colleague in the MMA media, E. Spencer Kite, Spencer. Who, who tweets in and says, "Is a lack of dominant champions worrisome or wonderful?" Hashtag the Brit Pack. Simon, you can go ahead on that one first. I think it's wonderful. I'll tell you why. If if you had a dominant champion in every division, then it would be a little bit static. It would be... A, I hesitate to use the word boring, but it would probably be a bit boring. Um, if you've got quite transient uh, sport at the very elite level where championships are changing hands, what it then means is when you do have a dominant champion, as we have with Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, um, that makes their achievements all the more all the more noteworthy and you know all the more spectacular to, to actually consider. Um, and, uh, you know, this isn't boxing where people can more easily dodge title shots or they can pursue different belts and all the rest of it, or they come in with, with ridiculously padded records and things like that, and they can pick and choose their opponents. You tend to get the best fights in the best in most cases, and um, therefore, belts are going to change hands. So I'm all for it. I, I have no problem at all with belts changing hands. It proves that the sport is legit. It proves that the sport is competitive, and it also proves that the sport is constantly evolving. You stand still in this game for five minutes, you'll be uh, you'll be in the uh, in the ta- you know looking at someone's tail lights. So um, you've got to keep moving forward. 
whether you got a belt or not. And uh, we've seen it. Seven title changes in seven months. I think it's great. It's chaos, but it's great. I love it. Yeah, I agree. And I think what this uh, recent run of unpredictability has done and title changing, changing hands is it finally showcases someone like Demetrius Johnson, who perhaps hasn't, hasn't had the love um, that he should, you know, rightly be receiving from everybody because, you know, people just think, oh, you know, he's been, you know, uh, the, 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 his division isn't as strong and so forth. But this is the absolute elite. These are the best mixed martial artists in the world uh, who predominantly all fight for the UFC. And I think now, with so many belts changing hands in so many divisions, it'll finally give a massive spotlight on a consistent, dominant champion in Johnson. And, and I hope the UFC, when he, when he returns and he, and he fights again, really make a big emphasis on that consistency. Um, cause I think that's what he's all about. And that's the way to kind of really push him up, uh, up the ranks in terms of, of star power. And, and people can hopefully respect that and tune in to fight, uh, tune in to see uh, a dominant champion like him, like a John Jones was for so many years, you know? Um, so yeah, I totally agree on that. And that will lead us into the final question, uh, Simon, which comes in from uh, a favorite of, of all media members, Joe from H-Town, Joe Daddy. Joe Daddy. A- AT- Joe Daddy himself. Um, he says, is GSP the biggest tease from high school? <laughs> Hashtag the bit Brit back. Now, it's, it's funny. I know, I know where Joe's coming from here because, you know, GSP has given quite a few interviews, uh, the majority of which have been with our friend Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour. And essentially said, look, you know, I, I want to come back. Uh, I want to fight. Uh, he's itching to come back. And you know, even today, you know, like we mentioned earlier on the show, uh, saying that he's interested in, in fighting Woodley. I don't know what's, what's stopping this. And, and obviously, it's got to do with some of the contractual issues um, with the UFC. Um, like you mentioned, Sai, you know, he is on an older deal, this, which predates Reebok, which predates USADA and so forth. Um, so there's bits and pieces to sort out. But I hope for the sake of the fans, for the sake of GSP wanting to make you know, a, a return um, at a time where he's still you know, potentially in, in the prime of his career, um, that they can get this thing figured out. Because um, I think everyone... Would love to see what a GSP in 2016 looks like. Um, what do you think, Sai? I mean, is GSP just a big tease from high school, like Joe Daddy says? A little bit. A little bit. I think he's answering the questions he's being asked, so I think you've got to cut him a little bit of slack. But also, I think the time has now come where, if he, if he really is serious about coming back, and we're led to believe he is, then I think what needs to happen next is he needs to sign a new deal or his deal needs to be reconfigured and there needs to be some sort of official line drawn where we say GSP is coming back. Now all we need to do is decide what fight he's going to have. Now, there's all this stuff going on in the background in terms of uh, endorsements, in terms of commitments to Reebok or not, as the case may be. All that stuff could be dealt with. What we need is a line in the sand that says, is he coming back, yes or no? And if the answer is yes, that then makes all those other things much easier to deal with because you're not dealing with what-ifs anymore. Say, so, right, uh, what, you know, the, one of the, the sport's biggest draws, one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport, has said he's coming back. These are the things we need to make happen. And they will go and make these things happen. But it needs that definitive, that definitive statement. To not, rather than saying... Yeah, I'd be interested in doing that. Oh, that sounds quite quite nice. Maybe I'll come back and do that. What we want is, I'm coming back. Get ready. 
then it happens. Then the wheels start moving, then it happens. The fans can get excited. And there's none of this Willy won't here. It's like Ross and flipping Rachel in Friends, isn't it? You know, is uh, you know, will they, won't they? Now, you know, is GSP coming back or not? I think he will. Um, but we just... The best thing would be for him to go on Ariel's show or anyone else's show and to turn around and say, guys, I am coming back. So Anderson Silver thing, I back, I back. That's what we want. <laughs> That's exactly what we want. GSP, just just tell us, man. Tell us you're coming back. And then, and then everyone yeah. everyone can be happy. Well, well, speaking of, uh, of, of telling us something, um, I think uh, just by looking at some of the numbers from our very first episode last week, uh, I think, Simon, you and me were both blown away by what the listeners of the show told us. So we were just absolutely humbled uh, by seeing how many uh, you know, people subscribed and, and some of the comments and reviews that we received already. And it, and it allowed us, after just one episode, to break into... Um, the iTunes uh, top 100 in all categories in the, in the UK charts, uh, and also the top 20 you know, of the sports category, which is absolutely fantastic. Top 15, um, so, yeah, exactly, top 15. Um, but uh, what, we, what we'd like to do is just ask everyone that's listening to the show, whether it's on Stitcher, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on SoundCloud, please share the show. Help us blow this thing up. Uh, uh, rate us, review us. Those rates and reviews really help Push, push us up the rankings, um, and it really would allow us to kind of uh, really, um, you know, help grow the show. And who knows what opportunities may may be available um, for the show moving forward. Um, the one thing I did want to quickly say, I forgot to do this last week, is I want to give a big shout out to Boss Logic. Uh, now, Boss Logic is an artist um, based out of Australia. Um, if you've seen any of our artwork on on Twitter. On, uh, on, on Stitcher and on iTunes and so forth. That's all from Boss Logic. Um, uh, the, how I became aware of Boss Logic is he was actually somebody, um, that would, uh, provide just fan artwork with his own take on big UFC, um, fights like Diaz and McGregor. And some of the fan artwork that we see online is just absolutely miles better than what we get officially uh, from some of these promotions and boss logic is absolutely right up there with one of the best and i reached out to him and he provided us uh, with the artwork um, for the podcast uh, absolutely free um, so i want to give a big shout out to boss logic um, if you're if you're interested in following his work um, you can just find him on instagram and twitter at boss logic and i highly recommend you do especially if you like your movies and tv shows if you're a comic book fan um, some fantastic artwork out there from the guy Fantastic and uh, yeah, great artwork. It's really nice. The uh, you know the whole Union flag motif. Um, great, great logo. Really, really pleased that he was able to do that for us. So thanks very much for that. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, episode two in the books. Um, you can listen as Sandy mentioned. Now you can get us via iTunes. Uh, you can get us via Stitcher. You can get us on SoundCloud. The easiest way to listen straight away is to go to. Uh, the BritpackMMA.com that will take you straight to our SoundCloud page where you can listen live from the website. Um, you can also, from that, you've got links to iTunes and Stitcher as well. Follow the show on Twitter as well, please do, uh, at the BritpackMMA. Um, and uh, also give Sandu a follow at SanduMMA. Uh, and maybe if you're feeling particularly generous, you can give me a follow as well at Simon Head. That's pretty much all we've got time for this week. We will be back next Monday with episode number three. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the fights next weekend and we'll speak to you on Monday.